good morning. As the old uh, Baptist preacher would say, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood's wet. Uh, anyway, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Psalm 19. Psalm 19, we will uh, be finishing up our uh, summer in the Psalms this morning, uh, and then just kind of tell you where we're headed uh, in the next two weeks. Uh, so next Sunday and the next, we will do just some, uh, some core stuff specifically and how we commit to God's people through small groups and things like that. And then on the 27th, uh, we would jump back into the book of Acts. Luke would kick us off. Uh, so I'll kick us off on the 27th with a recap, if you will. And then the first Sunday of September, Luke would kick us off in Acts 15. Our plan is to make it through 18 by Christmas. And then in January, we'll pick up 19 and do 19 and 20. And then after that, we're going to take a, a break from Acts. And we're actually, we're going to study through the seven churches in Revelation because uh, up to once we get through 20, we are introduced to those churches, and so we'll take a, a hard switch and go over to the, the churches there in Revelation. So that's kind of where we'll be really probably through sometime May next year. Anyway, maybe, maybe, you know us. And so, uh, but this morning we're on Psalm 19. Um, a few announcements that I have for your guests with us. Uh, first of all, thank you so much for uh, coming to join with us this morning. Uh, you picked a good morning uh, instead of last week because this morning the AC works. Uh, last week we got here and uh, there was no air. Uh, and so because of our generous giving, we were able, well, I'll say we had to, but we, we could, had to buy a new unit over here uh, and then ended up uh, changing the fan out on one and a capacitor. On so three of our five AC units were out last week. That's why I felt like the desert in here. But anyway, uh, so thank you for being here today. Uh, you should have got one of these uh, when you came through the doors. Uh, if you didn't, uh, there's some in the back. But on the back, on the bottom, there's a little tear-off section. You can tear that off and just fill it out with some general information about how to contact you. Or if you don't want to be contacted, just turn it in and we'll have a, a record that you were here with us. But if you would like any way that we can reach out and help answer any questions about Cross Point, feel free to, to write that on the back. Uh, a few other announcements uh, let's see. Uh, youth Wednesday night Bible studies kick back off. Uh, they, uh, they took a break. They'll kick back off the ninth uh, for the back to school rally. Uh, Luke, are you preaching that? And Luke is preaching that. That's a countywide uh, deal. Uh, it's at Northeast Jones PAC. Yeah, they moved it to Northeast. Uh, small groups. Uh, the week of the 20th uh, is whenever we have our forks with friends, which uh, if you're not familiar with that, that's just kind of the first week of small groups. Uh, where we get together and eat and hang out, getting ready for the, group, for the, for the semester. And on the 27th is when they officially launch back, uh, meeting and as in, as in studying. Uh, but on, on that note, on the 13th, so next Sunday uh, afternoon, I'm going to have a small group leader meeting. So this is for small group leaders and, and host homes. Uh, if you lead a small group in any capacity, if you can be here, uh, well, I know we sent a group message out this past week, but uh, this next Sunday from 5 to 6, uh, I'll be uh, punctual with time, just kind of talk about the semester. Child care will also be provided if, if that's a question for you as well. This Sunday is promotion Sunday for our kiddos, uh, and so I introduced last week our new kind of format for over there. And so uh, in the past, if you haven't been with us in the past, in the past we've had every, from babies through sixth grade that meet over in, in our education space. Well, we've made the decision this year to start that fifth and sixth grade will actually spend uh, every Sunday over here with us. Uh, we believe it's just great for them to be in worship with us, and they can, I think we can, they can. Uh, and so uh, now we're splitting up because I think I told you all this last week, but in the past two years, Crosspoint has had 18 babies born. Uh, and so, uh, therefore, there's a need to split the babies and the ones and the twos and threes. And so threes and fours are together, kindergarten through second grade, and third and fourth grade are over there. And so uh, it kind of gives us more room as well that way. And then on fifth Sundays... Uh, the kiddos that come over here, the first through third will come over here, K through third come over here, and the fifth and sixth grade will go over there and have their own little kid service. And so that's kind of, anyway, today's promotion Sunday, so your kid uh, should move up uh, on that. Let's see, there'll be a prayer meeting Saturday, September the 2nd at 8 a.m. Uh, and lastly, last week we handed out these pledge cards. Uh, if you're a member of Cross Point, you weren't here last week or didn't make it to the family meeting a few weeks ago, our next point team, whenever we're thinking of uh, moving forward in our building, uh, what it takes is we've done some fundraisers, 
And we've done well with fundraisers so far. I think we have just shy of $70,000 towards our building fund already, uh, which is awesome. Uh, I think it's like 67. Anyway, uh, but in order for us to make this building happen, fundraisers are just like a, an addition to that. The way we're going to make it happen is by us as members of Cross Point pledging that we're going to give X amount of dollars above our tithe uh, to, in order to meet that. And so uh, we handed these out uh, last week. There We want to be turned in on the September the 3rd. Uh, and so, uh, if, you, if you didn't grab one of these, grab it on the way out. There's a coffee cup in there. You can have the coffee cup it's stuffed in. If you got a coffee cup last week, don't steal one this week. Uh, and so, uh, we're doing, anyway, uh, we ain't rich by any means over here, so just one per family. Uh, anyway, take these, pray through what, what that is for you, and, 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 and on the card you see that you have an option to, to, for this this much per week for a, for a year or monthly, or even if you want to do one time or two times, however it is. But our goal is that we turn these in and we're making a commitment from September 1 of 23 to August the 31st of 24 that over the year I am designating this money, I'm going to give this money towards the building. So that's what that card is. And so if you can have those turned back in on the 3rd, uh, the next point team will take them and they'll tally all the how much we have and we'll make an announcement the next Sunday of this is what we got pledged, and this is what we can start to work with. Cool? Yeah. All right, so that's where we are. That's Sorry if you're a guest with us, that's church business stuff. Uh, I think that's all my meeting, uh, all my announcements. Did I miss anything? We're good. All right. Psalm 19. Uh, like I said, this will be our last Sunday in the Psalms for this summer, uh, and I think that the Psalms have been healthy to us. I think that they're just a, they're like medicine for the soul oftentimes. They, uh, as we say often, is that, now, we can walk through psalms, and there's really not an emotion or a struggle that you and I face that a psalmist hadn't faced. And so, therefore, uh, what the psalm does for us is oftentimes we have a hard time articulating that very thing that's causing us to struggle. Uh, we have a hard time articulating the very words that we even want to bring to God or even know how to say or even process emotions. But thankfully, God in his, his providence and in his goodness, he's given us the book of psalms that it gives us the words to say. Uh, and so I've, I'm hoping that as we walk through that over the past uh, couple months, that it's just been good for you. And this morning, we're in uh, Psalm 19. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of verses for you before I read Psalm 19 uh, and to kind of set our lens on. Actually, let me say this. So the past two weeks, by the way, Luke, thank you for the three weeks off. Uh, Luke preached the three weeks in a row, and I, I feel like I'm starting over again. I don't even know what I'm doing up here. It's my first time up here. Uh, I feel like I've been gone for three months. Uh, but anyway, I appreciate you giving me grace to be able to, to, to just be, be here for, for three weeks. But uh, over the past two weeks, Luke has been in Psalm 51, uh, where the first week we walked through really the nature of sin. Uh, and I'm thankful that we pastor a church that we could talk about sin and nobody says, I, I don't want to hear about that. I'm leaving. Like you, you sat under God's word and a hard word for a couple weeks. And so I want to say good job for, for being here and being content in that. But Luke talked about the nature of sin, the consequences of sin. And then he talked about really our response to sin in which naturally that's obviously it's there. We need to understand what we need to understand what sin is and what it causes. So therefore we learn to hate sin and love Jesus more. That's what we talked about uh, and how to react to our sin. And I truly believe that the way a, a believer reacts to sin, his, his or her sin, not somebody else's sin, but when, how we react to our sin is a great indicator of how much we know God the Father and our depth of knowledge in the gospel. Because oftentimes our response and our sin is to try to hide it, conceal it, or whatever. And what that shows is that you don't understand who your heavenly Father is. Uh, and you don't understand what the gospel is taught that ultimately, but as a child of God, when I do sin, when I do miss the mark, whenever I do raw, I think was the word for evil, whenever those things happen in my life that God doesn't kick me out of the family, that he exposes it, right? I think one of the gracious, most gracious thing God does is expose us in our sin. Oftentimes we look at that as, you know, God being a fun sucker, but it's actually one of the most gracious things he can do is to expose us in our sin. Because in there, there's repentance that can happen. So we've learned, we've learned like how to react to sin. But here's the part of the Christian life that, that we don't often think of, that we don't have to just be reactionary to sin, but we can be proactive towards sin. That in my life, that God, ultimately Christ died to set me free from sin. 
Not that I can live a perfect sin-free life, but ultimately as the child of God, the work of Jesus was so sufficient, so powerful, not only did it pay for your justification, as in he could, he could rightly call you righteous and blameless, but in the finished work of Christ, he also purchased our sanctification, which is the transformation that happens in our life as we're walking with Jesus, that, that whenever I come to know Jesus, I have a relationship with, with sin, right? That, that, that moment that I, I'm saved from the penalty of sin and I'm delivered from the power of sin, but through my life, the Holy Spirit can deliver me from even the pleasures of sin. Right, that it's, a, it's a work that Christ has fulfilled on our behalf. And ultimately, listen to me, child of God, through the power of the empty grave and the cross, listen to me, we can be victorious over sin in our life. That we don't have to succumb to it. Got quiet there. That we don't have to be its slave any longer. That doesn't mean we're not going to fail. It doesn't mean we're not going to trip up. But ultimately, we use that, right, what I just said, my little asterisk, as a reason just to go, it ain't worth it. I'm just going to keep going forward. And so, it's, let's read these verses. I don't know where I'm going right now, but let's read these verses. Jude one twenty four reads this. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Time out for a moment. Catch that. Usually when we think about God being our keeper, we're thinking about like when I'm going through bad times, he's going to keep me. He's not going to let bad things happen to me, if you will. But in this context, Jude is saying this now to him, him being God, who's able to keep you from stumbling. And check out what he's doing. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. That God, that God the Father is adamant about keeping you and presenting you to himself in eternity with great joy. So there's this picture that Jude is right, what we read in Jude here is that God is keeping us from stumbling, as keeping us from falling, as keeping us from denouncing the faith, as keeping us from walking in idolatry, walking in the very thing that Christ died to set us free from. He can keep you. Psalm 121, 7 and 8 says this, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. These verses are closely tied to the doctrine that we refer to as the perseverance of the saints. And as I grew up, I first began to get kind of introduced to doctrinal things. I thought about perseverance of the saints. My mind always meant that means like the saints are going to they're going they're going to tie up their laces and they're going to go. But the the older I get and, and the more I live life, I realize that I can't keep these things on my own. I almost want to begin to call that the preservation of the saints. Because uh, it's in a sense that it is God who's keeping me. It is God who's causing me to persevere. It is not, it is not the fact that it's not the deal that I, I lose faith at times, but it is through it all that the sum of my life is that God will keep me and he will cause me to persevere in life. To keep the faith, if you will. So you can see why I would call it the preservation, because God is the one that's doing the act. Now it's in tandem with our will as we submit and we, we continue in the faith that we hold fast that which we originally believed. There's a, there's a tandem there that happens, but it is God who's doing the preserving, causing the perseverance. And so I began to ask a question this week. How does he do that? How does he keep us from stumbling? Right? Because we, the past two weeks we talked about our reaction to sin and what to do with our sin, but how can God keep me from actually stumbling? How can God do the work in my life that I can actually say, resist temptation? Anybody with me? Anybody want to know the secret to that? All right? That's like, put that in the book, and that'll sell. Right? Well, good news, it's here already. Is that how, how, how does God keep me? How does he keep my, from going, my, my going out and my coming in? How does he keep my life? How does he keep me from stumbling and in doing so that one day he will present me in his presence and his glory? How does he do that? Well, I'm glad you asked that. Psalm 19, I believe, gives us a little bit of help there. Let me read, the, read Psalm 19. I'm going to read the totality. Uh, my title is The Law of the Lord is Perfect. To the choir master, a psalm of David, I, I thought this week is, again, this is a song that would be sung. And, and then I began to think this week that Jesus grew up, and he probably sang this same psalm whenever he was. And so just that thought was, 
anyway, Jesus singing these psalms and him going, it's about me. He, he obviously didn't, but ultimately, uh, you can see that kind of, anyway, Psalm 19, verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Anybody say amen to that? The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is worn, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. And so in the context of the question I'm asking, how can it keep me? Look at these verses. Who can discern his heirs? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from also presumptuous sins or willing sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And here's the cry of all of our hearts should be, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In this passage, I think that there's a bunch of ways we can break it down. I'm going to kind of give us four headings today as we walk through this. And ultimately, what we see in this passage, there's, there's two ways that God has revealed himself. And I'm thankful that we can stand here today and say that God has revealed himself, uh, that uh, because you and I understand over the, definitely over the past two weeks of how sinful and how dead in sin we were. And apart from God, instead of instead there being a top-down movement, we would have never even sought after God. So God has revealed himself. And so there are two ways that we see. But the four ways that I want to break it down is first one that we'll see in verses 1 through 6 is that God's revelation of himself in the world. Secondly, God's revelation of himself in the word. Third, and this could just be a sub-point, but I want to make this point in itself, uh, God's revelation of man to himself through the word. All right, so who can discern his heirs? There's a sense in the, the word that God's revealing man to himself. Uh, and then fourthly, man's response to God's revelation of himself. So if you're taking notes, number one, first thing we see in this passage is there's the revelation of God in the world. So just how does this connect it to God keeping me? Just follow me. There's a revelation, the God's revelation of himself in the world. First of it says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. That, that the, the heavens, when we walk outside, ultimately we see the heavens are declaring that there is a creator, there is a maker, there is one who is, exists for all of eternity, who started this, that there is, the heavens are declaring his glory. It says the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Then we walk out, we begin to see it. What we see is the traces of the penmanship of our Creator. It says day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. And ultimately, what it's saying is it doesn't matter if it's daytime or it's nighttime. Creation is declaring the glory of the Lord. It rather it's sun shining outside, or it's storming, or it's a it's an overcast night. You can't see the stars. You walk outside day and night, night and day is declaring the glory of our creator. And this is something interesting for some reason I've never caught. They're declaring, but there is no speech. There are no words. There's not a voice that is heard, yet they're still declaring the glory of the Lord. You know what that means? It doesn't matter where you live on the face of this planet, no matter what language you speak and if you can't speak, you have eyes to see that it is declaring and every human can see it and understand that there's a creator who created this. It has no voice. It has no words. But we can behold our creator through his creation. As their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. And I, here's where it kind of, 
David here, who's the same guy who writes Psalm 51, so I'm thankful that we see this side of David as well. But he says, he gives this picture of, you know, it's, it's so, so, so far it's the, the heavens and the skies, and then he finally gives us one of those created things. And he says uh, in uh, the last part of 4, he says, uh, yeah, in them he has set a tent for the sun. That word tent there, our mind goes to like, somewhere, you see, but it's a picture of like a fixed position. It's given it almost a line for it to go on, as in when the sun, like this morning when I got here and the sun was rising, like where it rises exactly is where God said, this is where you're going to be. And when it sets over here this afternoon, it's out of the hill. When it goes down, it is not going one inch to the right or one inch to the left. And the fact that where God says, I've set it, this is where it goes, where it rises, where it sets. And check out, <laughs> it almost gives the personality of the sun. Like the guy says, this is your job. You're going to rise right here. You're going to set right there. You're not going to move one way this way or that way or this way or that way. You're going to do this. And here's why. <laughs> and here's how it says this. Which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. You ever thought about that? Like the excitement of a, of, of a groom on wedding day? Either he's ready to be married, or it gives the picture of a strong man who runs the race with joy, as in the picture of a man who's been training, he's strong, and he's ready to burst off the, off the starting line. That's the picture that he's giving of the sun. Like, the sun cannot wait to be able to come up to declare the glory of the Lord. The sun can't wait to set on this side to declare the glory of the Lord. It's like a groom who's ready to get married or a runner ready to sprint. Listen to me, the sun has got it figured out that it was created to declare the glory of the Lord. And then begs the question, why do some people still don't believe in God? Because they are not without testimony, right? Psalm tells us that, 14 says that the fool says in his heart that there is no God. That word fool there is not in equal to intellect. The fool there is like a, mor a moral stupidity, if you will. As in, it's one, it makes a decision that is not necessarily built on intellect, that it's a, it's a moral failure to be able to look at the heavens declaring that there is no God. And I have to believe that Psalm 19 is what Paul probably had in his mind when he was writing Romans chapter 1. In verses 18 through 25, you don't have to flip there, but it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness, and here you go, suppress the truth. It's not a, it's not a, like, here you go, definitely for you today. I'm, I'm going to bring it, because I know our minds go into somebody across the world who's never heard the gospel. Let's go to Jones County right now. If you've been at Cross Point in any time at all, yet you've still not chosen to follow Jesus, you haven't, you have chosen not to follow Jesus, not out of not having enough information, you have suppressed the truth. You follow me? And so the, the, the idea here is not in a sense that they don't see it, it's that they see it and they suppress it. It's not an intellectual thing, it's a it's a, mo a moral failure thing. It's a suppressing of the truth. It's, it's, it's hearing it and seeing it, yet choosing to ignore it. And so here we go. It says, suppress the truth, verse 19. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. That's Psalm 19, is that the heavens are declaring that there is a creator. And so we can sit down, I'm not going to do it here, but we can sit down and go, all right, well, what about the person on the other side? Because we understand that this is general revelation. Every human being has general revelation. They might accept it, they may not understand it, but there's a general revelation where God has revealed his attributes through creation, right? So the question comes, well, what about the person on the other side of the world who's never heard the gospel? They, they get to a point of, all right, there, there's a creator, and we can sit down and talk about that, but that's ultimately... What we're seeing in Psalm 19 is that the, the purpose of creation is to point that there is a creator, that God has revealed himself, that God, who didn't need anybody or need anything, decided, I'm going to create a world. 
And on that world, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to create some people. Why? Just so we can see his glory. So the heavens declare. If you continue to read Romans chapter 1, what you see is that it starts with a a suppressing of the truth, ends into a a moral breakdown of culture and society. It starts with that, that principle. And whenever we deny God and deny his word, then we're headed to a breakdown. Secondly, that we see in this text, in verses 7 through 11, that there's God's revelation of himself and his word. So the first thing we see in Psalm 19 is that God has revealed himself through creation. Secondly, I'm thankful because general revelation is not salvific in terms. That, yes, there's a creator, but it doesn't save us. Is there, is there a more special revelation? Is there a more specific revelation that God has given so that we can know him? that we can understand, that we can know how to live for him. And thanks be to God, the answer is yes. That God has revealed himself specifically in the word. That we don't have to sit back and go, I wonder how this world was created. He's provided that for us. And he may not give every answer to all of life's problems, but he tells us, he gives us a lens in which to look at all of it and how to deal with all of it. But he's revealed himself through his word. And I want to make something super clear here before I jump into this. About the intention of his word in our lives. Because when we're walking through the law and, and the titles that David gives it, and there's benefits to it, what you see, again, in this revealed word of God is that it's not merely just intellectual, but it's, it's transformational. As in the word of God that you and I study it's, it's, it's an original intent. It's just not just to fill our heads up with knowledge, but to change the very hearts in our lives. And so, therefore, I'm going to take a time out before we dive into this. If we're gaining intellect in the things of God, yet we're still treating our wife terribly, you haven't got understanding yet. If, you, if you're soaking in the Word of God, yet you're still living however you want to, it ain't, it ain't, it ain't suck in yet. There's a lot of knowledge, but no understanding Knowledge comes from study. Understanding comes by the Spirit. And the Spirit implanting in our heart. And if we ain't got to the understanding yet, we need to sit there long enough and sit there a little bit longer so the Holy Spirit can put it in our heart where it transforms our lives. Knowledge never puffs up. Always. The only one being lifted up in knowledge should be the one who died for us. And anytime our knowledge or our doctrine begins to puff us up, we need to take a step back and go, I'm not understanding what's going on here. Right with me? All right. So here in, in verses 7 through 11, David gives us seven titles for the Word of God. With, I'm sorry, six titles before the Word of God and six blessings. First of all, verse 7, he says, the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. I know in your mind here, you automatically probably go to like the Ten Commandments, which it could be represented, or it could also be comprehensively all of God's revealed will in his mind. It could be the complete scriptures. The same word could be used for both. But what it says is ultimately there's this divine instruction that God has revealed himself in in what we call the law here, that he's revealed, he's given us divine instruction. And, and, And David says that it's perfect. The, the scriptures, it's perfect. There's, it's, it's not incomplete. It's, it's, it'll teach man all he needs to know to live life. It's, it's, it's all, everything we need to know to know God and know ourselves and, and to walk with him. It is, it is perfect. And it says that uh, perfect it literally means it's, it's all-sided. There's nothing lacking or nothing can be added. It possesses everything. It's comprehensive. As in the very law of God, the word of God, it, is, it, it, does, not, it does not be added to. If there's, there's, not a, there's not a period that wasn't put in there that should be in there. It's not something that we should take out, that it is perfect, all-sided for man to know God. And it says reviving the soul. The benefit of being in the word of God, that it revives the soul. What we, our hope is on Sunday mornings when we come in here and we sit under the word of God, that even though some days it may be a tough word, but ultimately it's still reviving the soul. It's bringing life to things that are dead in us, that things that we even have even turned our eye to. That the Holy Spirit is reviving those things within us when we sit under the word. 
The soul here is the inner man, the real person who we are. The scripture is divine instruction, a full comprehension. It's flawless for the soul of man. The word revive is to restore, to transform. This isn't just some superficial morality or external behavioral modification, but the, the law of God aims in the inner man. It transforms the inner man, and it's perfect to do that work. That's why I hear Cross Point, our, like our core value number one is that we commit ourselves to God's truth. That each Sunday we're going to boldly, unashamedly, hopefully, prayerfully, correctly divide the word of God the best we can because it is perfect to change the inner man. Not some scheme that we can come up with, not some plan that we can come up with or this pragmatic approach. It is the word of God that is perfect. To change the heart of man. It says the law is perfect, reviving the soul. Then he calls it the testimony of the Lord is sure. This testimony, literally speaking, not like my testimony, but the Lord's testimony of himself, that he's given testimony of who he is. He's done it through creation, but through the word, he has testified to his creatures that he is the one who creates and sustains all things, that all things are, are made for him, by him, for him, through him. It's sure. It says, it's a divine witness, a God-giving testimony to who he is, what he wills, what he requires, what he will do, what he has done. It is sure, it means it's, it's, it's true, it's reliable in every sense, able to be trusted and followed, guaranteed to the one who trusts. It's a sure word that the testimony the Lord has given is one that you and I can bank our life upon. It is sure. It's steady. And I'm thankful for this one, and it will make wise the simple. I know how simple-minded this dude right here is. And it makes wise simple. Beautiful words here. The word simple is earthly. It's not it's a mind that's not philosophical. It's one that's just a very simple mind. And actually, the root word there is there's a picture of an open door. And so someone who is simple is one who has no discernment. It's just an open mind, if you will. What does the word of God do that it comes into this mind that has no ability to discern? It's just open, and it shuts the door in discernment. It says, this is the truth. <laughs> right? Like, it's a beautiful picture that the testimony of the Lord will make wise the simple, the mind that was tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine that had no idea, no, no way to be able to discern what's truth aired, that the word of God comes and gives them discernment, makes them wise. A, to wise to salvation, but wise to live a godly life, wise to, to live a, as God has called us to. The Word of God, really, the Word of God takes an open, undiscerning mind and teaches it to close it by being discerning of knowledge and application. But I want to remind you that James 3.17 says this, that the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. It goes back to the point that knowledge should never puff us up because the wisdom that we have from the word of God is one is first. It's pure and it's peaceful. It's not arrogant or prideful. It's humble. I got some more I got to get to. Verse 8 the word of the Lord. Sorry, did I miss the commandment? No, I'm on eight. There we go. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Precepts is a very strong word, and you may even, it's like statutes, and you may even think of the word statue when you read their statutes, which is a great imagery of what that word is. It's something that's solid. It's something that holds things up. It's something that is firm. This is, this is doctrine. This is not suggestions or nice ideas or fleeting truth. It's absolute truths that the very word of God where God has revealed himself, it is the very basis of everything else. It's the foundation of all knowledge. It's doctrines that are established and communicated and understood. And it says that the precepts of the Lord are right and rejoicing the heart. What is the revealed will mind of God through his word that it rejoices the heart the joy comes when the word is understood and applied there's joy in knowing that I don't have to figure this thing called life out am I with me there 
joy in knowing that I'm not God, but he is. And these precepts are something that, that God has revealed that many times people say, I have this opinion, or, you know, I'm holding on to this. And, and when I think about these precepts, these, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are like these main things, these doctrines, these statutes are not necessarily something I hold on to, but hold on to me. If I miss something that the, the word of God is, has grasped a hold of me. And when God has revealed himself, it's like Martin Luther, where I've been held captive by the word of God. It's that same picture that, that these statues are the ones they hold on to me. We can have opinions about many things, but when God's re- who revealed who he is, they are, they're precepts, they're strong, they're truth, they're not to be argued over. This is who he is. Like him or not, this is him. Eight B, we give commandments. Commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. It's a divine decree, a mandate, it's authoritative, it's sovereign, it's binding, it's not optional, it's the demands of God. And they're pure, that means they're clear, they're, they're transparent, they're un- understandable and accessible. And it gives clear direction. that the word of God, and ultimately what the reformers would say is that the word of God could be understood. Then we come to the word of God is you don't have to have a PhD or an MDiv or even a college education or even a high school education to understand the commandments of the Lord. Amen. The word of God is it's pure. It's, it's, it's understandable. It's enlightening the eyes. You notice that. That's what's what. What's doing the act here? The word of God is doing the act. What, what is it that's causing rejoicing in the heart? The word of God. What is it that's opening the eyes? The word of God. As whenever we go to the word of God, we approach the word of God. God, through the Holy Spirit, in, the, in tandem with the word, will open our eyes to be able to see these things. And they're clear and they're pure. Some things, obviously, are great. He hasn't made everything black and white in Scripture. But like I said earlier, the main things he has. I think it's Alistair Begg that always says, the main things are the plain things, and the plain things are the main things. Stay on those things, you'll be fine. It's whenever you start making un, unplain things the main things when we're running the air. Sorry, I'm somewhere in my notes. Y'all know I do that. Commandments are it's enlightening the eye. See, not only does not only does God reveal Himself through the Word, and as we're, He's opening our eyes to see Him more, but you know what else He's doing? He's opening our eyes to see everything else as well. Right? Like it's, it's I don't interpret God through my circumstances. I interpret my circumstances through God, Amen. through His Word. I, I don't I don't look at other things and try to define the Word by looking at those other things. No. I make sense of those things, and if they don't make sense, I gain perspective on those things by the clear word of God. He's revealed himself through his commandments that are pure and they enlighten the eyes. Verse 9, I'm going to get through them. The fear of the Lord is clean. It's a weird word to put in with all these words, but I think it's a couple things. Fear, in a sense, could be. There are other places that fear and truth are kind of indefinite. Psalms are interwoven together, but I think probably more here, it's the what is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. Well, where do we get the, the knowledge of God? It's, uh, I think maybe even the comprehension of God revealing himself to us through his word, that this, this healthy fear, if you will, this reverence grows in knowledge of him by, the, by what? A product of the word in our life. The more we're studying the word, the more highly we see him. And therefore, the result would be, oh gosh, he's holy and he's big and he's other than me. And so it says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It means it's free from error or corruption or defilement. It's inerrant. It's pure. That's why it lasts forever. There's nothing that defiles the word of God. It is pure. The flower fades and the grass withers. I'm butcher that, but what? The word of God abides forever. There is no defilement, therefore there's no death in it. 
9b. The rules of the Lord are true, simple enough, and righteous altogether. So that's the six titles of the Word of God, the revelation of God and His Word, and the six benefits. So here's what he says. Because that's what it is, there are more to be desired than any gold. <laughs> because God has revealed Himself through the Word, and through that Word, man can be born again, that man can interpret life, that man can know how to live a life that's following after God, to have joy in his heart, to have peace in his soul. Listen to me. If this can provide that, then this is the most valuable possession that we can have on this side of eternity. That's what he's saying. If this is the work of the word, then my gosh, it should be our greatest treasure. If it's a thing that gives us hope in, in our pain and our suffering, if it's a thing that kept, keeps us walking in line with the Lord, then, man, that should be my greatest treasure. I'm not going to give any imagery of the honey and drippings of the honeycomb, but it says it is, should be the most valuable thing in our life. What if we believe that about the Word of God? Like it, like it does in verses 7 through 9, that that's actually what it would do in our life. Again, this is why we commit to God's truth. Verse 11, Moreover, by them your servant is warned. That's a very simple light. The Word of God warns the servants of God. Warns us of error. Warns us of our own sin. It warns us. And check out what it says. In keeping them, there's a great reward. Notice the lingo there that David does not say that you get the reward by keeping them, but keeping them is the reward. That it is a great reward in keeping these truths. We're not working to gain a reward. It is the very reward that God has given us His Word to be able to walk with Him. That is the blessing. Next point, number three. This is a short one. And now we're going to land the plane to where I started. Yeah, we see God's revelation of man to himself through the word. Look at 12a. Who can discern his errors? What that's saying is, he ain't talking about God's errors. He's talking about what man can discern his own errors. You know what? We are real good at seeing everybody else's sin, but guess whose we can't see? This guy's. Can't see our own. And if we do, we ignore the fact and make somebody else's bigger than ours. And so David's saying, well, who can, who, can discern my, who can discern the errors? And what he's saying is, thankfully, God, through his word, reveals us to ourselves That it is in the word of God that I see my errors, I see my shortcomings, I see my faults, I see where I missed the mark. And that's a blessing. That's a, that's a gift of God to be able to see myself and go, I missed the mark. I fall short. Fourthly, man's response to God's revelation. Look at 12. So we walk through revelation and creation, revelation in the Word, and then it turns into this plea. Remember, this would be a song that they were singing. He says this, Who can discern his errors? And he goes, here we go, Declare me innocent from hidden faults. So what David's doing here is through the word, as he's been thinking through the word, and he's been singing to the Lord, he's been thinking through, he goes, there may be sins in my life that I'm not even aware of, that I'm not even seeing, if you will. So he's, he's asking the Lord to make him innocent from those things. But here you go, ready? Here's proactiveness. Verse 13, keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. So in the word, he's thinking through the word of God, and he pleads to God, says, God, Help me not walk in willful sin, presumptuous sins. Not to act like I'm teaching my little my kids, but in sins, you have the sins of omission, which would be not doing what God commands, and you have the sins of commission, which is doing what God forbids. And what David is praying here is, God, keep me from doing what you have commanded me not to do, and keep me from not doing what you've commanded me to do. Again, who's doing the enabling? God. David simply, through the word and through the spirit, or through his spirit, he goes, God, I need your help for me not to walk in willful sin. 
See, there is the beautiful thing about the Christian life in which when we do sin, we can turn to God. But another thing that we have that David didn't have, really two things, we had, there's two things that David didn't have that we do. One is the full counsel of God's word. The complete revealed will and mind of God we have. You know, the second thing we have that he did not have, we have the very Godhead living within us via the Holy Spirit. He indwells us. And he leads us. And as Luke told us last week, it's the very first job that Jesus describes the Holy Spirit's going to do. Convict us of sin. Oftentimes, for me and you, before we even commit the sin, he's already pumping the brakes. Or throwing up red lights. We just keep running them. So how does God keep us? There's, that's the question, right? How does God keep us from stumbling? I believe he has gifted us with his word. And that doesn't mean I read the Bible, I'm going to get perfect. Secondly, he's indwelled us by his Holy Spirit. And those two things in tandem can keep us from stumbling. But thirdly, you know what else he gave us? Look to your right and look to your left. He gave us God's people. That together, God, through his spirit, through his word, and through his people, he keeps those who are his from stumbling. And I firmly believe, so check out here, I missed this, but keep back your servant also from your presumptive sins, let them not have dominion over me. David understood, because he's seen in his own life, he looked at the past two weeks, is one sin that's presumptuous, presumptuous, what leads to another one, which leads to another one, which leads to another one. Before long, our hearts grow callous, and the very conviction of the Holy Spirit goes dimmer. His cry here is, God, keep me from willfully sinning, because I don't want that sin to have dominion over me. The good news of the gospel is that when Christ died and he was, he was buried and raised again, that Romans 6 tells us that that work also, when we are born again, it kind of does, doesn't work in our life. That He says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who have died to sin live any longer in it? Then he gives the picture of Jesus' death and resurrection as in because Jesus died and rose again and our faith in him now, our relationship to sin has changed that we have become dead to sin and alive in God. So that is a, that is a matter of fact. That is a doctrinal thing that we do not argue with. That has happened. The problem is they've still have to deal with this flesh. So I'm thankful for Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to get on a tangent for a second. I'm going to wrap this, plan, wrap this thing up, I promise. In Galatians chapter 5, we have the, the work of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, right? And what does he, what does he talk about? He talks about the, how the, 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 the desires of the Spirit against the flesh and the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit to keep you from doing what you ought to do. So here's the picture for the believer. Inside of you, there is an endless civil war. That as a child of God, you have the Spirit of God that's draw, calling you to holiness. You feel that? The one that convicts you of sin, the one that draws you into knowledge, the one that keeps pulling you, but also there's another desire, the desires of the flesh that are keeping you, trying to pull you to do the very other thing. There's a silver war. First of all, I want to, if you feel that, I want to encourage you a little bit. There's, that's a sign that the Holy Spirit resides in you. If there's conviction of sin, that means he's actually at work in there. But here's the picture. Here's the thing is, oftentimes we submit ourselves to desires the flesh instead of desires the spirit. And it boils down to is because we like our sin more than we love our Jesus. So how does God keep us? He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. And Paul tells us, be filled by the spirit. Obviously, there are things, that, practical things we can do. It look like if you come to me and say, hey, Justin, I'm really dealing with I'm really dealing with porn or something like that. You just pray for me. You know what I'm going to tell you to do? Get rid of your computer. Like there's practical things that we're going to do to push out. Get, get a flip phone instead of an iPhone. I'll pray for you and tell you Jesus loves you, but practically you need to stop 
putting yourself in places that are going to cause you to stumble. There's practical things we got to do. I'm not making light of that. But God, in his goodness, has given us the very, the very way he keeps us, and that's through his word and his spirit and his people. Simply, will we be in his word and we submit to his Holy Spirit? Because I promise you this, his Holy Spirit never once will lead us to sin. Ever. So if we find ourselves in sin, it's not because the Holy Spirit led us there. You with me? So may we submit, learn to submit, and maybe it's even more practical where we need to call in people and say, I need you to help, help me with this. But for the child of God, you have everything you need to live a victorious life. No more excuses. You have everything you need to live a godly life. It's just a matter of, Am I going to love Jesus more than this? Am I going to be in the Word and let the Word do its work? I simply submit to the Holy Spirit. Will you do that? Because if so, hopefully we'll find ourselves let, being less reactive and more proactive in our relationship toward sin. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your Word, your sufficient Word, not only to come to know you, but to to live with you and for you. God, I pray that today, God, your Holy Spirit will do what it does. It bring joy to the hearts, that it will make wise the simple. God, I pray even in my own life of times that I've resisted your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you for the gift of your word and your spirit that will keep us so that you present us one day in your presence with glory. God, I thank you that this work of being kept isn't necessarily how hard I hold on, but how much you, you hold on. That this message isn't about try harder, do harder. This message is about if we, if we commit ourselves to you and your word and walk by your spirit, God, you will do the work. Father, maybe there's somebody in here this morning who does not know you. That this message about victorious over sin and living a godly life is foolishness to them. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will do a work in their heart today. That you would give them eyes to see Jesus eyes to see their sin and their need of him. That we don't have to come become wise on our own in order to trust you, but God, we come to you simple-minded and you make us wise to salvation. Father, have your way during this time. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Hey, if you need to talk, Luke and I, we stand in the back. I'm asking you to stand Daniel and the team is going to lead us in a song. <coughs> Sorry. Anyway, you can stand. We can all stand at one time. It's okay. <clears throat> but yeah, if you need to pray or anything, we'll be in the back. Do you need to go and grab somebody? You can do that too. But you move as the Lord leads. <laughs>